Welcome to another exciting edition of Near Mint Comic Radio, your local comic shop shrunk down, gamma radiated with both its parents tragically killed before its eyes and aired live every week, only on the non-productive network, the only place that would have us. I'm your host, Frank, joined in studio as always by Ken and Pete. Hello, Ken and Pete. Hey, Frank. Yeah, boy. Topical. We rank and review comics on Near Mint from best to worst. That's Mint, Near Mint, good, fair, and poor to you newbies, and try to guide you in what to read and what it might be better to leave behind. Hey, Word. Sp- speaking of leaving behind... The blogosphere, every time, I always call it the blogosphere, it's never used. The internet. Huh? I, don't know. I, would, I, I prefer the blogo hypercube. The blogo cube is, hypercube. A, uh, is vibrating with the news, the ramifications of this week. There's actually two major news events from this week that we need to talk about. I forgot to mention this beforehand. Number oh, okay. one. The most important thing is that Disney is apparently in talks with Fox to purchase Fox's catalog. And what does that mean for geeks everywhere and also, you know, media and stuff like that? And also, number two, number two is Brian Michael Bendis has left Marvel for DC. Wow. Yeah, it's a crazy, crazy, crazy week. Uh, pretty exciting. Uh, which one of these two crazy things do you want to talk about first? May I make a suggestion? We do actually have comic reviews as well. Lead us, Frank. I would like us. to lead us in a very brief conversation about Disney offering to buy uh, Fox. Have you heard anything about this? You guys know this? or the, Not even bit, offering yeah. to buy, the talks about it. I yeah. heard it's all speculation right. and, uh, and up in the air at the moment. It is completely speculation. Apparently, they just... I, like admitted to there being talks between Disney company, the Which Disney company and at, Fox twenty first century Fox. At the moment, the talks have broken down. It was the rumor I've heard. Yeah, that they're not nothing active. There's nothing really to report yet. It's just a discussion. The mm-hmm. interesting thing to me, and the reason why I'm bringing it on up on near mint is, and I don't think this is just my filters in my feeds. Most of what I heard people excited about or talking about in this was that they are finally going to get X-Men characters in their Marvel <laughs> movies or, and to a lesser extent, uh, a good Fantastic Four movie and things like along those lines. Mm. This is, if true, if this is real, this would be huge news. Disney buying another major conglomerate and like merging them together. I actually heard another big thing that people were discussing about that okay about the merger beyond getting x-men in our uh, marvel universe yes do you know where i'm going no i'm not sure the uh the possible final release of unedited star wars original star wars movies Oh, what? Uh, Non-special edition Star oh, Wars. Oh, I didn't prints. realize that. Because 20th Century Fox has the has the uh, the distribution rights to the original Star Wars movies. Huh, I did not know, I did not realize that. And they they're part of the hurdle with Disney releasing those movies. Interesting. Because Disney would have to cut them in on the profits and certain legal mumbo jumbo that I don't understand completely, but that would be completely cleared away. And it would be entirely Disney's discretion 
with what to release that going is, forward. That is extremely interesting. Here's the thing that I want to bring up about this. I think it's like, I think we are missing the lead on this in an, in an incredible way, right? So we've got a huge company, Disney, and a mm-hmm. huge company, Fox. They're potentially going to merge in some way, or Disney's going to buy out Fox. And people are chiefly interested in their special edition Star Wars, which mm-hmm. you can still kind of get. You can see the original Star Wars if you put a little bit of effort in. Let's just put it that way. And having, officially having, X-Men showing up in an Avengers movie... Or having the Fantastic Four get a movie that you dub as good. This is giant news and the internet went crazy for it in the geekiest way possible. Like no one stopped and said, well, what's going to happen with the, 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 there's like seven companies that control the media we see. (laughs) Shouldn't we be alarmed that now there will be six or five? No, no, it was, it was just about whether or not Hugh Jackman will come back as Wolverine and meet, um, I guess, Chris Pine. I don't know. It's, it's, that is to me a huge sign that we've well into the age of geek where that is the major concern people have. Well, the other thing, yeah. too, is, I mean, where current entertainment is, that's the only thing that people would actually put together if Disney was doing because they know what Disney already owns, you know, and well, that's the only thing that, I mean, you would initially piece together up front. I think you're still missing the point, Ken, because right. what, what Frank's talking about is this is on the verge of creating a monopoly. Right. Right. And people are like, oh, man, finally, I get to see... Yeah. A cool Susan Storm, or I don't know what they're looking yeah. for, but like that to me is very weird, and it was kind of disturbing when I look at when I was first heard that. I'm like, eh, interesting, a little myopic of us geeks, but <laughs> all right, sure. Uh, yeah. Of course, um, the, the bigger, even the bigger picture of this, and more myopic of geeks is this is almost certainly because of streaming, like the reason why they would buy the yeah. Fox catalog, and um, more importantly than that, even it's probably has something to do with sports. And that's why most of the geeks were like, huh? What is sport? I don't understand. So there you go. That is our take on the big, because there were, I'm going to be honest, there are two major news, comic book related news that broke this week. One of them was the potential of getting good X-Men and Fantastic Four movies that merge in with the Avengers and all those. Before we jump off of that, Mm -hmm. real quick, I just want to say that fussing over the fact that that's what the internet is talking about is not that big of a deal. I mean, it's it, that's what the internet talks about. Oh yeah, they sure. talk about. It. I mean, it, it's it's. Uh, oh, I'm not. I'm not doomsaying. I'm not saying that the world is coming to an end. It is. Oh, it certainly is. But it has nothing oh, yeah. to do with that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it is. You've read my blog, right? I, yeah. Okay, great. Uh, it's in the blog. And one of the signs of the world coming to an end is when a beloved creator leaves his beloved comic company for a bitter rival. Brian Michael Bendis. We need to talk about this. The interesting thing about that is usually that happens right after the world ends in the comic book. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Good point. Well, it did. It happened about a year or two after. How? When did Ultimate come to an end? Yeah, but then he rebuilt it again. So yeah. Ultimate. That was uh, two years ago. Yeah. I guess there you go. Secret War. So let's give a little bit of background for those of you who are interested in a comic book podcast, yet somehow have not heard the news. Brian Michael Bendis, after almost 20 years at Marvel... Um, has left uh, Marvel to uh, form an exclusive deal with uh, DC. And that's kind of big news in the comic book world. That is, actually. I mean, Mm -hmm. when you look at what he's built and created, 
for Marvel, especially with all the uh, the major events over over the past what ten years. Yeah, it's 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 pretty ridiculous. Like I always see him as as a huge staple for that company, and just to hear that is just very odd. It is pretty surprising, especially to go to the competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's it. I think it's the exclusive contract for me that made it seem a little surprising. Um, I mean, so what's next? He goes over there, and then Jeff Johns decides to jump ship. That would be interesting. You know, I would like to see that. Uh, I actually think I think Bendis will do good at DC. I think he'll make some interesting uh, uh, choices um, there. I think that Bendis's strengths are um, character focused books like single character focus books where he, he could take a character and lead them and do some interesting things with him. I think a lot of times some of the places he doesn't do as well is things that have broad narration where there's a, a lot of different characters speaking like team books, group books. I don't, I didn't, uh, his Avengers run less interesting to me than like Daredevil. Right. Right. So I, I would, I would put forward that DC has a, a higher focus on, on single character books than group books. I mean, there's always the Justice League and things like that, but for the most part, you've got character books. And I, th- I think Bendis could do good. I think he's great for DC. He's a great fit because he's normally used to going in, shaking things up with something, and then by the time he's done with a run, everything's back to status quo. That Putting sounds just like DC. <laughs> exactly. Putting the toys back in the box is a good skill to have, I think, if you're writing in a comic book company. I'd have to disagree with you on the uh, on the individual single character focus things. Uh, because I, I I think DC gives the illusion of that that being the fact, but they they really aren't. Most of the Batman books focus largely on his larger team, his family, his fa- the Bat family. You know, you've you've the DC is very heavy on the supporting characters being a big part of even the solo books. I mean, look at Green Lantern and the Green Lantern Corps. Yeah, they've they've got like five different Green Lanterns going right now that are stars. But how many of those five different Green Lanterns are also in turn stars of their own books? Right now, it's limited. Actually, uh, there's I believe there's only two. Uh, Yeah, there might only be one Green Lantern book. Right, that's my point. So I feel like when you look at the Avengers, you've got very distinct characters who each carry their own line, Mm. and then are forced to play together in some big arc. Uh, with the Batman family, even if there are many characters in the story, they're all kind of on the Batman track. You know, the Green Lanterns, they're all the Green Lanterns. They're all on the Green Lantern track. It's not Batman and Green Lantern going off to solve some sort of middle-of-the-road problem that involves both their lines, storyline. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. what I'm talking about. Okay. So I, I, okay. I do think he'll do a good job there. Um, I, I am also as surprised as I was with the internet's reaction to uh, the Disney looking to buy out Fox. I was, I think, more surprised by uh, the internet's reaction to Bendis's leaving. People really made it seem like the sky was falling for Marvel, and I guess that's kind of the hyperbole of the internet. Mm-hmm. But it's not been the first time that a major creator has left their work. Uh, they're they're different. They're known company to go over to Arrival and and talk with them. Uh, We actually have a couple that we'd like to discuss. I think today we talked a little bit about this in pre-production. I'm going to bring up a a goofy one to begin with. Stan Lee, right? Stan Lee is (laughs) definitely identified with Marvel Comics. He is uh, that old guy who's in all those movies, (laughs) for those of you who don't know. Uh, He's a barber. Yes. It's sometime in like early 2000, 2002, uh, he uh, actually sued Marvel for back royalties 
for, yeah, right. for things, which is was shocking news at the time. It was pretty surprising. Uh, also made a lot of sense because I think it was just after Marvel was devoured by Disney. Uh, I think it was no, just that after was, that. That was well before. Actually. Yeah. Was it? What? Yeah. I thought yeah. Marvel. This was just just after Marvel emerged from bankruptcy. Really. Uh, and do do in small part to in no small part to the success of the Spider-Man and X-Men movies. Right. Oh, you're right. Yeah, because that uh, makes perfect sense because uh, Spider-Man didn't come out in 2002. Yeah. So what time was it? I guess it was 2004. 2001, I believe. No, 2002 was Spider-Man. Oh, um, you're right. Yes. So Stanley sues Marvel and then about the same time moves to DC. <gasps> Does everyone uh, forget about this? I do, actually. You don't it's remember when Stanley was at DC after suing Marvel? This is controversial. Because he signed a, 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 a limited deal for a series issues. of one shots. Was, 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 was that the uh, what if? Just Imagine. Just Imagine. We did an episode about Just Imagine. I think it was 13 issues. The, the concept was cool. It was Just Imagine if Stan Lee had been the one who created Batman, which is kind of a kind of a weird concept for the people who created all those comics. Just imagine if somebody else did it instead. So there was a bunch of different books. Um, That, of course... And the answer is they would all suck. Yeah. They would only last an issue and they they weren't very good at all. So be happy with what you got. Yeah, so that's... Thank you, Bob Kane. For a little bit more serious... For a little bit more... And Bill Finger... Uh, for a little bit more, I wonder if Stan, if the, the Just Imagine happened before Bill Finger was given credit on Batman. I think it did. It did. It definitely did. Oh, yeah. So there was people were, DC was playing Just Imagine, Stan Lee created Batman. And Bill Finger's state's like, well, just imagine if I helped. Damn it. Hey, uh, I mean, you yeah. know, because Stan Lee is uh, very familiar with that kind of uh, credit sharing or not. Oh yeah, <laughs> which uh, which brings me to one one of the uh, the ones that I find most interesting: the departure of Steve Ditko from Marvel. That's right. The big issue with Steve Ditko was uh, he he was one of the main creators. He designed the the costumes for Spider Man. It was um, Stan Lee that put the words to and the stories to, to each book. And Steve never really got the credit he deserved for being a co-creator of Spider-Man. It all went to Stan Lee. And that was the reason for his departure from Marvel later on. That's right. And then, yeah, now, and that, that was a huge deal. But I think even at the time, it was perhaps less of a big deal because uh, because exactly because of the credit issues. Because mm-hmm. so little credit was given that it was kind of like it was obscured as to how significant this was that you would lose uh, a significant creator and, and artist. That comes up later on, years, like decades later, where Marvel was concerned. That was always a big issue. Oh, yeah? Because one of the big things, especially back in the 90s, flash forward to the 90s, you had your big creators, Jim Lee, oh, Todd McFarlane, yeah. Rob Liefeld... You know, Silvestri, and they all jumped ship because they Don't were... Don't forget Wills Portacio. Wills Portacio, yeah. They they were doing all this great work and were upset that they were creating all these characters and they would go straight into Marvel's bank of, of you know, go-to characters that can right. go anywhere and they weren't getting the credit that they felt that they deserved for it and they didn't have any kind of creative control over it and the said, birth. you know what, we're out. Yeah, and that, of course, was the birth of Image, yes. which was a huge deal for comic book geeks. Because I'll be dead in the cold, cold ground before I let Marvel get their hands on wet works. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a big thing Spawn. I, I kind of want to bring up. Well, Spawn, at least, was uh, one yeah. of the most iconic of the Image well, Spawn, created. Yeah, Spawn succe- spawned a, spawned a, yeah. a, you know, yeah. a modestly successful John Leguizamo movie. 
Yeah, sure. Animated series, yeah, toy line. Uh, I don't know anything uh, about those. That's I just right. know the John Leguizamo movie. So I want to bring up a perennial favorite of my own, Alan Moore. Oh, Alan yeah. Moore, who... A creator who, of Watchmen Babies. <laughs> creator of Watchmen Babies. Uh, uh, before that, Watchmen. Uh, who, of course, you know, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons' seminal work for the Watchmen was really important. Um, well, they were all uh, rip-offs uh, of uh, Steve Ditko's Charlton characters, though. In many ways, they are they were reimagined, but that's not my point. Uh, so uh, before uh, Watchmen, there was Swamp Thing, which uh, Martin, yeah, his run on Swamp Thing was amazing. Just a ripoff of Man Thing. Mm, no, <laughs> absolutely the not. Fact. Great contributions, Pete. Uh, but the point being is that that he he kept having these like he kept butting heads with DC. Over um, merchandising and their 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 attempts to remute to reuse his characters and royalties, so we go back to royalties, and it just sort of like it reached to a head where he left. I think sometime in like he, he left twice, didn't he? He did. Hold yeah. on a minute. Yeah, uh, if I remember correctly, he left eighty nine over the uh, the royalties in eighty nine. Yeah, and then uh, he signed on with uh, Jim Lee's. Image imprint, uh, Wildstorm. Was it Wildstorm? It was a Jim Lee imprint, it, it, but it was it, definitely a, a, a D, and DC bought that when DC yeah, bought that out. There he put out like a bunch of d- different books. He had put a lot of effort. Yeah, he into got there. his own imprint underneath. That's right. That. And then, like in two thousand, extraordinary gentleman, exactly. In late two thousands, oh, and Jim Lee uh, insisted at the time. Jim Lee said, assured um, Alan Moore that no one was going to, uh, no, he was never going to have to deal with DC directly. Yeah, right. And then apparently, if this is true, and I think it is, I think this is reported in uh, interviews with Alan Moore, uh, someone in DC editorial tried to take out a joke. In a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, issue that number was, five, that was critical of. I don't know what the of joke Marvel. was. I don't know the joke either. It was critical of Marvel, and then and that's when uh, Alan Moore said, "I'm out," and he left. I, I never heard of this. Yeah, yeah. So he this left again, true. and then uh, yeah, League is now published somewhere else. That like, was back in know. 2009. Yeah, and he managed. I don't know how he did it, but he managed to wrest control away from DC well, of League because it was part of Image, right? So he was it was creator owned. There was a certain amount but of control it, he at, had to the at characters. At that point, it had already been sold to DC. That I division th- of Image had already been sold. I, th- I think the way it works with Image is that you still retained your ownership, but they they may have sold their rights to publication. Con- yeah. ob- obviously, you know the publication rules are complicated, but that's another huge uh, separation. Again, not too controversial for most people because Alan Moore is a very distinct personality and people kind oh, of yeah. expected him to be stop doing this I'm leaving you know that kind of deal I expected him to build a giant wooden airplane but uh <laughs> well it'll happen yeah he's he's still working on it uh I think the the I guess the ultimate most amazing devastating big shift is Jack Kirby originally leaving Marvel, Marvel. For DC, and then eventually getting permission to do uh, Fourth World, the New Gods, the New Gods, basically all of DC's cosmic universe. Yeah, that was a big deal. I I I was actually more impressed by when he got fed up with DC and jumped (laughs) ship to Marvel. Yes, that was a few years later, and then recreated the exact same characters for Marvel. So the question I have in in light of all this of, of Bendis leaving is, first of all, 
what do you think, is it good for a creator to leave a place that they're comfortable and that they have like full reign and control to another place? Uh, do good stories come out of that generally? Or is it often like just a, an attempt to rehash their same ideas with new characters? I, I think so. I mean, I think Jim Lee is a prime example of it. Not the jumping ship from Marvel to Image, but later on going to DC. And look, I mean, we got Hush out of Jim Lee from Batman, and that was pretty damn good. I mean, that kind of reinvigorated a lot of the Batman franchise at one point. All right, that's valid. Okay. I, I have a little bit more reserved of a, opinion. I feel like certain people do move to a new place and do the same thing mm -hmm. with the new toys. You know, I'll be Kirby. honest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is odd to say because I've liked everything he did oh, with yeah. the toys. I mean, th that was a good thing because in DC, he was able to create, he, they gave him his own little corner of the universe to play with and he created something entirely new. Oh my God. Are we going to get DC ultimate? Uh, you, know, you know what? Wow. I'll admit you. Yeah. Uh, in, in, in regards to, um, to Bendis, he does have a formula. It yeah. took years to kind of develop, but he does have an obvious formula that, yeah, I could see him bringing that, that to DC and we see the same things. One of his big mm -hmm. go-tos is, let's go back and bring back a character that everyone forgot about forever or create a new character and then th pluck him in there and say he was always there. Uh, but th is that is that really a Brian Michael Bendis thing or an ind industry-wide thing but now? But Bendis used that I kind think of he may have that's, that's Alan Moore. With Swamp yeah. Thing and uh, yeah, I think bringing what was it? back Jack a Kirby did Sandman reinvigorated Sandman. Uh, Kirby, did you say? I think Neil, so. Neil Gaiman. No, well, not <laughs> before Gaiman's version of yeah. Sandman. Oh, I there was remember. a JSA Sandman. There was a Kirby one. Mm. So I, I feel like I, I think like it's a hit or miss. I think there are some people who just do it for the sake of doing it. I feel like Bendis signing that exclusivity contract. He's got to come in this with a lot he's hoping for. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to try to be positive about this for the most part because, you know, there's a lot of whenever a comic universe does a respawn or a reboot or whatever, there's always there's there's going to be some buzz mm -hmm. of controversy. So Marvel's just doing their all new the Marvel legacy. I don't want to believe that it's been this jumping ship at this point. Because uh, I don't believe that no. the things that Bendis has done in the last 20 years have been something that you need to jump ship about. I don't think, I think there's been a lot of controversy for controversy for the last two years or so, or three or four. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily deserved. I think a lot of the fans are still enjoying it. But we'll, we'll have to, we'll wait and see. I, I think that Bendis is at a point where he ha has told most of the stories he has to tell about Marvel at this point about the Marvel and its characters. And it's a good thing that he's jumping ship to DC right now. Uh, and an even better thing that he signed the exclusivity agreement because it's going to eliminate the temptation to jump back to Marvel. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and force him to buckle down and, and do some long-term plotting for DC. Uh, yeah. And I think it's an even better thing. Uh, bucking the uh, trend here. I think it's an even better thing for Marvel. Because so much of their stories so far, or recently, have been kind of squeezed into the Brian Michael Bendis cookie cutter. Yeah. That now they have the opportunity to break off and do some new stuff. And it, it's desperately needed at Marvel right now. Agreed. Absolutely. We, we can't take Civil War Three. <laughs> <laughs> One last thing for me, too. I mean, looking back... 
reading articles years ago with Bendis. He, he, as a kid and older, was working in comic shops. He started off being a fan of all of it. I mean, how cool is it? I mean, if you had the opportunity and you were creative and could and were able to get work like that, how cool is it to be able to work with one company and be able to jump and actually play with the other guy, characters that you you I, used to read? I mean, it. I don't. I envy him. He's he's probably he's probably so happy right now. <laughs> that sounds such like such a fun, awesome experience. It's gonna be it's gonna be really cool reading what he's got to offer. What do you think he's uh, he's most excited about? Oh God! I honestly, I feel like he's gonna try to dig. I think his first thing is digging up a semi-obscure character and trying to reimagine it. My, I almost want to say Shazam, and not super. He's not uh, really obscure, but I think like you, you have to like do two things. You have to like hit something that feels DC. Now, you mm. can't pick a character that like somebody's gonna have to look up and find out whether or not they were ever a, really a character beforehand. But at the same time, pick a character that isn't hasn't been in the limelight a lot in the last few years. So no Flash right. or no Superman or what have you. You know, I think Hawkman. Hawkman. That would be good. He's been gone. Mm-hmm. Hawkman he was be, killed yeah. off recently. Hawkman might be interesting, but. Mm. He he's also really problematic. He's problematic in many he'll, ways. He'll he's get, Moon Knight level he'll, problematic. He'll just, get <laughs> he'll just get retconned again. It's all right. It's that's my point. About five million. That's times. my point. Yeah. Is it yeah. is it happens so often yeah. that it's you're less... only saying that because of the connection to Egyptian bird gods. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a what a slight connection here. Speaking of Egyptian bird gods, we have to pay our sponsors, and by doing that, we have to review comics. That's our contractual obligation. Who has a comic book that they would like to review first this week? Comic books, book reviews brought to you by Egyptian bird god. (laughs) Monthly. uh, Deodorant. Uh, (laughs) All right, I got something I want to go through right away. Go for Uh, it. So, Runaways. It's going to be a new streaming show. Uh, Marvel's Runaways, um, hot dickety awesome. Yeah, I don't know what ABC Freeform something. Uh, Hulu, I believe. Oh, yeah. whatever. Okay, so it's gonna be. I just so found basically out basically the same thing. Yeah, so I just found out it was streaming. I didn't know that, and it's about a bunch of. Uh, it's based Freeform on actually has a cloak and dagger. Uh, I see. But. So Runaways is basically based on a uh, comic book line from Marvel that originally started in two thousand four. Um, and then has uh, actually seen a reboot. It's come out uh, mm-hmm. in uh, 2017. There's a new line coming out. Uh, three issues in. I never read the original Runaways line. So this is a real interesting experience for me. Um, the, char- the basic premise of this is really cool, in my opinion. It's a bunch of ca- kids who have superpowers mm-hmm. who are the children, they find out, of supervillains. They discover at one point that their uh, parents are performing an evil ritual. They realize, oh my god, our parents are villains. And they uh, attempt to run away to distance themselves from their parents, not only because they're evil, but also because they're hunting them down for various reasons. Um, that's the That's the... Uh, elevator pitch of it mm. i never read the book and this book takes place after the the last line ends it's part of the same uh storyline mm. so it's not like you pick up any x-men book in the beginning of an arc and you're like i get the basic premise uh, premise of the x-men mutants they're they're hunted by a world that doesn't love them or whatever but like it doesn't matter what's going on this is expensive expressly tied into what just happened to clarify a little bit also mm-hmm. not only does it take place after the old runaway series ended but it takes place after a whole bunch of time has passed in the marvel universe and in 
they, the the runaways have split up split up and they've been parts of various other books and some of them have died in other books yeah so yeah. just for those of you who are going out there and rushing out to buy the runaways trade paperbacks thinking you're going to get the whole story you're not it's very difficult you could probably if you get the trade paperback or if there are any of the first run you'd have a better idea of what's going on I did not, and I chose not to, and I'm going to read the rest of this without, because mm. it was interesting. So, to give you an idea of where this book begins, apparently, at the end of the last arc, there was a character who, in the, the final climax between these runaways and their evil parents, uh, I guess I'm going to say spoiler alert, uh, she dies in the battle with uh, the supervillain parents. Years take place. This, this book came to an end, like, in... Uh, early mid 2000s so it's been many years since that uh, arc uh, closed in marvel in the publishing history but two years later in their world one of the characters says attempts to use a time machine goes back in time to save the character that dies at the end of the last arc so this whole story we have as a um uh a point of view character for someone who is fresh into the runaways book, a, a person who doesn't quite understand why everything's different, why time has passed in, in the Mar in the Marvel universe. Right. So she's like, what we used to be a cool team. We used to be like early 2000 punk kids who were just running away and listening to Beck. I don't know what people did in the early 2000s. <laughs> um, but now we're all like, you know, one character's in college and the other character's sort of like, you know, going to find themselves. Someone is actually living with a grandmother. You know, the, the orphan story in superhero comics, they're just completely no background, no, no family, no support structure. This character just was adopted by their grandmother. It's like, no, it was fine. You're not going to be a little girl who's fighting criminals. You're going to go live with your grandmother now. That's the normal thing to do. It was really interesting not knowing what was happening beforehand and seeing these characters have to cope with being apart and being kind of broken up. It was very subtle. There's a little bit of an ominous undertone to it, like there's something following them all, but it was very subtle. It's an interesting book about the dynamics of being in a group and then being apart from that group for a long time. For me as a comic book reader who's been out of comics for a long time and coming back in, it was perfect because it's exactly what I feel. This kind of, and I think a lot of people are those kind of readers now. We've seen comic book sales drop really sharp in the last few years. And I think a lot of those readers kind of feel like they can't get back in. This is a great book to get back in on it. Not because it catches you up immediately, because it, it entertains the notion of alienation, of feeling weird, of not understanding what's going on around you. But it's a character story, so it's, it's really good. I liked it a lot. Three issues in, I'm so far giving it a near mint. Cool. I very much enjoyed it and highly recommend. Very cool. I might have to check it out now. Yeah, it's good. I've got just a quick one. A uh, little bit about the uh, the most recent X-Men uh, comic arc. The uh, the new X-Men Gold and X-Men Blue are crossing over. Uh, and they're doing a storyline that features uh, old time... Old time. Old school? Old school X-Men villain Mojo. Oh, nice. You remember Mojo, the uh, the yellow obese slug thing that runs a uh, interdimensional... The Mojoverse. Yeah, interdimensional television station in the Mojoverse. I don't understand... I, I don't understand how he has... How he depends on ratings, given that uh, 
the entire universe is named after him. <laughs> <clears throat> but I, I digress. These stories are pretty darn good. I'm trying to find if they have a title yet. Oh yeah, Mojo Worldwide is the name of the crossover. And the basic premise is Mojo is in the middle of sweeps uh, and is desperate to increase his ratings. So he goes back and mines his all-time favorite and most popular uh, attractions, the X-Men, uh, by essentially trapping them uh, within a created universe where he go back, goes back and relives all of the uh, X-Men's most popular storylines <laughs> in, in our uh, universe. I feel like this entire arc is a, is a tongue-in-cheek observation of Fox Studios and what they're doing with the X-Men characters. Um, I, I cannot tell you that it's not. Oh, great. I, I, I think it very well may be. Uh, but we've got, you basically have the, uh, the current cast of X-Men being shoehorned into roles that maybe they didn't, they weren't there for. Huh. Right. Uh, you know, replacing previous cast members. It's very, and it, it, it's retreading these, these old scenarios, but more than retreading, it's, it's revisiting them. And so, reminding you of the great X-Men exploits yeah, of the past. Uh, like Days of Future Past was one of them. Days of Future yeah. Past, uh, Executioner's Song. Do you feel like this is a, a good place for somebody who hasn't read those books or would they not quite get it? I think that it is a, it, it, it works as a pretty good primer for okay, those cool. of you who, who aren't caught up on X-Men history. They give you enough of a backstory... Because there's there's always an X Man who wasn't there for this, oh, that's this one, and they're like, okay, wait, what's this one about? <laughs> oh, yeah, the clone of Jean Grey turned into a demon queen and tried to uh, raise hell on Manhattan. Oh, okay, so we're fighting demons. Neat. Yes, <laughs> and it, it's that kind of thing, and it's it's just this fast paced thing that's throwing new things at you every time you turn around. Uh, and I I. I I highly recommend it. It's it's very That's good. That's neat. Uh, it's it's not done yet, so I can't give it a a full, uh, unequivocal rating. But I'll say so far, I'm right on the fence between good and near mint. Oh, I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt for a near mint. Nice. I I, I did read the first issue of that one actually, um, and Peter's got a majority of it summed up pretty pretty darn well. I mean. The, it, the other thing is, it's been tying into this current trend of nostalgia, I think, mm -hmm. too. Oh, yeah. There's definitely the Marvel legacy aspect yeah. where you're, you're revisiting yeah. revisiting the legacy of these characters. Yeah, where it could have been done very hackney, and yeah. it mm -hmm. wasn't. The nostalgia makes for a very fun ride. I'm just not sure where the actual story is going. Right. So that's that's why I can't give it. That, that's why I'm between a, a good and a near mint and not yeah. a near mint and a mint. Right, right, right. But All still, right. fun ride, read it. All right, Ken, do you got anything for us? Unfortunately, today I do. Uh-oh, not a good sign. <laughs> uh, from American Mythology Productions. Okay. Sounds reputable. Comes Volcanosaurus. <laughs> yes, the American mythos <laughs> is, is <laughs> deep The beloved involved. American myth of Volcanosaurus. <laughs> 
Listen, I I I'm I'm not afraid to Where do you get these books? I listen, I am not All afraid right. to be ashamed by saying again that I am a huge fan of the sci-fi terrible you know, B-movie, shark movies, schlock, all yeah. that. Yeah. And this uh, is exactly what this book oh, is aspiring to be. It is a volcano mixed with a dinosaur yeah. of some sort. It, okay. It's dinosaurs that apparently survived within dormant volcanoes. And when they erupt, they get shot out and come to life and they spew oh, vulca- and they spew God. lava. That's, so it's like, so. it's Sharknado. Cause I mean, like as far it's as lava lantula, <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, it, it takes a whole bunch of this, the, 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 wow. this, garbage that a lot of us just like to watch and turn into a comic book and my problem with it is unfortunately when you try to take this concept and transfer it to a book it doesn't work really you know you you can see where this was going and this book seems like it was obviously a treatment or a script for a film that was probably most likely rejected either because the budget would not allow it even how bad some of these CG effects work in some of these movies. Yeah. I doubt you could do half of the stuff that they wanted to do in this. Can I see some of that art? Oh, that's the other thing. The art actually, I was not a fan of it. Um, it's very plain. Oops. Um, it doesn't have much of a style in reading it. I can't make out at times, which character is who, um, <laughs> you know, at one point we, we see a girl, um, sunbathing on the beach and a couple pages later, as she's running for her life, she looks like she's um, a female bodybuilder that looked nothing like she did four pages or five pages earlier. Um, the dialogue is simplistic at best. And the art, I mean, it's not just the style, but it's the storytelling of the art. You go from one one instance of someone... Um, you know, in the water, relaxing, lounging, and you see a waterfall like really far away in the distance. And in the next panel, their hand is in the waterfall, <laughs> and there's no oh, bearing no of time. There's no, no setup for anything. Oh, like, good. It's hard to like just gaining like how all of this takes place is 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 terrible. And um, you know, I just figured it'd be a fun little romp. My you know m- you know dumb candy for for, for right. your brain and your eyes to watch and and read. And it's terrible it's no. just very very terrible so what do you read it uh, do we have anything below a pour no pour is the bottom it's a pour uh, we, we gotta give it a pour man I'm, oh uh, yeah. that's unfortunate actually i'll, unfortunate. I'll admit the best thing about this book the name <laughs> well yeah no no the best the best part about this book is um after it ends you actually get a seven page preview of a book that doesn't look that bad uh the eternal thirst of dracula which is um written by uh, a guy named Mike Wolfer, who's actually a pretty good writer. Oh, nice. So, I, and after reading the first couple pages of that, that that's an interesting concept. I mean, I'm not, so I'm not getting rid of this company just based on the one book yet. I'll try this, and if I still, and if this other one when it comes out is terrible, then I might have to throw it all in the garbage and, you know, acknowledge the fact that I wasted a lot of money on this stuff. Yeah, well, that's that's pretty much what you do. Waste money on funny papers. That's what we do. So that you don't have to. That's right. It's in the in the description and everything. I think we have some interesting polls this week. Uh, and actually, I'm really excited to see what the future holds for Bendis at DC and at Marvel. And seeing how they are going to you know thrive now that they're no longer in the shadows of the tyrant we call Bendis. Bendis. Cor- correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if any of you knows this off the top You're of your wrong. heads. No. Bendis, was he the voice of Modoc in anything? Maybe the Marvel what ifs 
on YouTube? It's very possible. I feel like he was, and I've never been able to confirm that. Uh, or he I, might have been Howard the Duck. Oh, because if I remember correctly, he went on record saying that he was not a fan of Howard the Duck, but they did do. They used to do a couple of jokes at his expense at one point. I don't remember. If you remember, uh, you uh, write that down on a three and a half inch uh, postcard. Postcard and mail it into the studio somehow. Figure it out. Do it, internet. This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablawi. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com. He was Modoc. Look at that.